18. Luke 18. Um, If you have a Bible, you can turn to there, or if you want to use the one in the pew, or I'm going to have the verses on the screen, so don't worry about it if you don't want to. Um, There's actually two kind of main passages we're going to focus on today. One of them is just one verse, but the other story we're going to look at is Luke 18, and it's on page 877 uh, in the pew Bible. While you're turning there, last week on Easter, we started this new series called The Pursuit of Happiness. Uh, This phrase that in some ways defines who we are as a country, that people should be able to pursue, experience the reality of happiness. But one of the things we talked about last week is the happiness that our culture presents and pursues and goes after um, is momentary, is fleeting, is not eternal, cannot even let us down in many ways. It can give us a happiness in the moment, but it's not that constant, ever-present, regardless of the circumstances. The question we said is, the thing that we are trying to find our happiness in, how does it stand up to the storms of life? And the happiness that Jesus presents, the, happy, the life that God is offering to us, is one of deep, real happiness that goes beyond just fleeting emotions or the moment or anything like that, that is constant and eternal. And so we presented that idea last week. If you weren't with us and you want to hear that message, uh, if you go into the New Life app, just go into your app store, look for New Life Community Church, you'll see our logo, um, and you can pick Lincoln Park, and then the messages are on there. You can kind of catch up with that if you'd like to hear what we had to say last week on Easter. Um, But the whole plan is to go through this section of one of Jesus's sermons called the Sermon on the Mount, this famous, amazing sermon that Jesus gave, where in the beginning, he gives these things called the Beatitudes, these wonderful pieces of news for people who are part of his way of life. And so what we're doing is we're going through those Beatitudes one at a time to unpack this pursuit of happiness, this amazing life that Jesus gives us. So that's where we're at. That's what we're talking about these next few weeks. Um, I said to those who were here with us on Easter, like, hey, stick with us for this series to check out not only a faith community, but also check out what this life is, understand a little bit more what this life is that Jesus is presenting to us and offering to us. And so if this is your first time me saying that, I hope that not only you'll be here with with us today, but that you'll stick around to hear more of what the Bible has to say about this life Jesus wants to give people. So that's where we're at. That's what we're going to be talking about these next few weeks. Before we jump into today's, I want to pray and just that God would encourage our hearts. Let's pray together. God, we thank you so much that you are here, that you are real, that you are present. Most importantly, God, that you love us, that you care about us, that you are gracious and mercy, merciful. God, we thank you that we can be here with one another. I think we can open up your word and pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts, our minds, who we are through your word. That, Spirit, you would move in this place. I pray that you would remove any distractions, any things that are bothering us or burdening us or even just there, that you would just help us to hear what you have to say through your word. Encourage us, convict us, challenge us. Let us see the amazing God that you are this morning. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So like I said, as we go through this, we're going to be looking at one of these beatitudes that Jesus gives every week. And the first one is this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Have you ever gone shopping for something and you realize once you get to the place or you have the thing in your hand or you're at the experience or whatever is, you realize it's out of your price range. I really, really, really want this. Here's the price, here's my budget. Or here's the price and here's my budget. 
Uh, maybe it was you were buying a car. Maybe it was a house or a condo. Maybe it was a TV or a phone. But you get to the point where you see what you have to offer and what it requires to obtain it that you're coming up short. Anybody ever had that experience? Um, maybe every time the new phone comes out, right? We don't know what that... Or just going and buying f- eggs now. Um, <laughs> sometimes we can bargain. Sometimes we can negotiate. But sometimes we just are not able to obtain whatever it is on our own. And that gets to the heart of what this beatitude is about today. Let's break it down a little bit at a time. So it starts off with blessed, blessed. Jesus proclaims wonderful news to people. That's what we said this word is really talking about last week. Wonderful news for those who are poor in spirit. You are blessed, a deep happiness-filled life which Jesus offers to us, a life of true happiness that is freely given, happiness that is constant and ever-present, and happiness that is both real, not real now, both now and forever. This is not a proclamation. This is not a wonderful news just full of smiley faces and fleeting emotions. Jesus is proclaiming and offering a life which fulfills our heart's deepest longing. And for the one who is in that life, wonderful news if this is you. Then it goes down, and the wonderful news is for who? The poor in spirit. Wonderful news. Blessed are you, poor in spirit. Now, this isn't talking about our bank accounts or a career status, or anything like that. This is not telling you to go liquidate everything and have nothing in your possession or nothing in your bank account. Instead, this is referring to how we as people unite with the holy God. This is how we unite with who he is. The big emphasis here is that when it comes down to what is needed to bring us into a relationship with God and into the life he gives, what that requires we have nothing to offer for it. We, we have nothing to offer for it. To be poor in spirit means to be spiritually bankrupt. To be poor in spirit means to be spiritually bankrupt. Like someone standing on the street with nothing and must beg for food, beg for help. Spiritually, you and I are that person. We have nothing to offer Michael, scholar Michael Wilkins says, The kingdom of God belongs to those who know they have no resources, material or spiritual, to help themselves before God. Now to clarify, this is not saying that we are worthless, that you have no value as a person. This verse is not meant to spiritually demean or abuse us. It is saying that none of us have anything within us that can make us right with God. And that none of us can do anything or offer anything or bring anything that will make us right with God. To help us better understand what this beatitude is saying, Pastor Kent Hughes says, he paraphrases it this way. Blessed are those who are so desperately poor in their spiritual resources that they realize that they must have help from outside sources. I am so empty, so without when it comes to what I need before God. Someone has to help me with this. Or as John Stott says, we have nothing to offer, nothing to plead, nothing which to buy the favor of heaven. We are poor in spirit. 
and those who are poor in spirit. Wonderful news for those who are poor in spirit. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. Wonderful news for those who are spiritually bankrupt. Yours is the kingdom of heaven. The way of life Jesus made possible in the resurrection is yours. When you align your life with him, the spiritually bankrupt hit the spiritual jackpot. You get all of it. Last week while talking about this during our Easter message, I quoted Pastor Rich uh, Villadas, and he says this, Jesus offers a way of being human that is powerful enough to tear down the walls of hostility we have grown accustomed to. His gospel gives us a vision of loving well. It is a soul-healing, enemy-reconciling, truth-telling, justice-embodying, sin-conquering vision. It's one we can't live without. And what this is saying is that wonderful news for those of you who are spiritually bankrupt, that's the jackpot you've hit. That's what Jesus gives us. Wonderful news, the amazing life, this amazing life, belongs to the spiritually bankrupt who turn to Jesus. We really see the heart of this beatitude and what it's trying to get across in this story in Luke 18. It starts in verse 9. It says, To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. This is a story, this is going to be a story about what endorses a person to God, what gains God's approval. And let's say that both of these guys come to Jesus with a bag full of their endorsements. So the first guy, when he walks in, you can hear him walking into the temple and he's got his stuff, his, stuff, his bag full of stuff. This, he's a Pharisee, it tells us. He's this religious leader in the community, an influencer of people. And Jesus shares this about him as he comes in with his bag of stuff. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evil adulterers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. He's praying but this is pure show and tell. Let me show and tell you, God, how awesome I am and everything that I'm bringing to you. I'm bringing my superiority in life. I'm bringing, especially when you compare me to the rest of the society, especially when you compare me to this tax collector, I am superior to others. I'm bringing how devote I, devote I am not only do I pray like I'm praying to you right now, God, but I fast more than once every week. And I'm also bringing how generous I am. Of all that I make, I give 10% to the temple. And obviously, I'm making what I can give from through honest means, the Lord's work, not like the scummy robbers, evil doers, and, you, you know, that guy. I'm doing honest work and I'm giving a part of back of all that I earn, God, you get to have a part of it. Look at all my stuff, God. Look at what I've accomplished. Look at me. Scholar Daryl Bach says, when the Pharisee is done, his prayers infect, I thank you, God, that I am so great. 
In fact, one gets the impression that God should be honored that this faithful Pharisee is on his team. The Pharisee is saying, my bag is full, God. Aren't you impressed? Look at how my, authority, my superiority, how devoted I am, my generosity, all that I am, this endorses me, this makes me good with you. You're grateful for me, God, aren't you? The Pharisee emphasizes his accomplishments, his activities, what he brings to the table. And the thing is, his bag is full of himself. His bag is full of himself. He's showing off. If I had to set it down because it was heavy. <laughs> he, fe- he feels that in the person that he is and in what he's done, that he is bringing some amazing stuff to God for God's approval. And we can be like this. Whether we realize it or not, we can be like this. God, look at how good I am. Look how much better I am than others. How much better I am than the scummy people. Look at all the great things I've done and how hard I've tried. God, my bag is full of everything I can offer. And man, God, do I bring a lot. The Pharisee comes before God like this. The second guy is a tax collector and was generally unliked by everybody in the community. I mean, not that that's really changed. I mean, think about it. If the caller ID shows IRS, is anyone going, oh, I was waiting for that call. That's awesome. Let's talk. No. Voicemail. Same idea. Sorry if if you are a tax collector in here. We love you. So I just want to clarify that. Man, that church is a bunch. But that's this guy. And Jesus' story continues with him. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. The Pharisee doesn't say a lot, but what he says, says a lot. It's hard for him to look up when he prays. Maybe he's thinking of different failures in his life. Maybe he's thinking of just how big and awesome and magnificent and holy God is. I picture seeing him in just a lowly position of prayer, head down, probably eyes closed, and as you look at him, you can just see his face just... and just feeling and processing whatever's going on in his heart. Whatever he's thinking, he's not showing off anything. He's not presenting any resume. He's not showing and telling. In fact, when he comes in, he basically is just, his bag is... God, I got nothing. God, I, 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 don't, have, I don't have anything. It's, God, have mercy on me. Here's the thing. He may have been able to claim a few of the things that the Pharisee claimed. I mean, it isn't to say that because he's a tax collector, he's a bad person. I mean, maybe he wasn't a bad guy. Maybe he prayed and fasted also. Maybe he gave 10% of his income or even more than that. But he wasn't emphasizing any of that. He wasn't emphasizing his accomplishments because he knew they were nothing. He was saying he had nothing. God, I'm, I don't have anything. I need your help. God, I need your mercy. 
I mean, go back to that definition by Wilkins. The kingdom of God belongs to those who know they have no resources, material or spiritual, to help themselves before guy, before God. And that's this guy. God, I have nothing. Have mercy on me. And what does Jesus say about these two? I tell you that this man, the tax collector, rather than the Pharisee, went home justified before God. For all of those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. The tax collector went home right with God because he wasn't trusting anything about himself. He was trusting everything about God and God's mercy. He was trusting in the Lord. The tax collector was poor in spirit. He knew he was spiritually bankrupt. He came to the Lord begging, begging for mercy, and he received the kingdom of heaven. To be poor in spirit is to realize we have nothing that we can carry to God that will endorse us or validate us. To be poor in spirit is the price for forgiveness, restoration, and the life that he gives is realizing that is out of our price range. We have nothing that can obtain that. We, God says, but there's wonderful news for those who realize that's me. Which begs the question, I thought we were talking about happiness. How in the world is this a proclamation of wonderful news? How is this beatitude wonderful news? Well, two things. One, here's the first. Acknowledging that we're spiritually broke and Jesus is the life provider is the key to everything. Acknowledging that we are spiritually broke and Jesus is the life provider. He, that is the key to everything. Because here's the mind blower. Here's the thing that every single one of us, regardless of who you are, what you've done, what you haven't done, how affluent you are, or the opposite, it doesn't matter who you are. If you are here with a pulse and breathing today, there is one thing true about all of us. We're all spiritually broke. Every single person in history, on the planet, in the future, we are spiritually broke. Romans says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Ecclesiastes 7 says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins. And it says in 1 John, think that's not you? Like, almost like God knows what we're going to think at some point. If we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. We are all spiritually broke. We all experience the destructive force of sin. We hate how other people act. And if we were honest with ourselves, we hate how we act at times. We know we don't always act good and that others don't. And all of that causes the brokenness that we see in the world that we experience and others do. Everyone is spiritually broke. But thank God, like what we talked about last week at Easter, Jesus provides life. Jesus does what's necessary so that we can receive life. He died to take care of the root problem 
of our brokenness. It says in Romans 3, again, everyone has sinned and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in his grace, freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus whom he freed, when he freed us from the penalty for our sins. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. The penalty, the consequences, what happens when there's sin is that there's death. And that payment has to come due. But we are imperfect people, so we are broke. We cannot pay that. But Jesus paid it for us. That's what the reality of Good Friday is all about. Jesus paid our penalty of sin. Jesus died on the cross for us in our place. But then the other thing that's awesome is that he rose from the dead to give us real life. It says in Colossians 1, In him in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. Romans 8, And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And 1 Corinthians 15, For sin is the sting that results in death, and the law gives sin its power. But thank God he gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't only pay our debt, he also gives us the life we want, that we need, that we're longing for, that our hearts are craving. And so acknowledging these two realities is the key to everything. I am spiritually broke. I can't do what is needed to be right with God. But Jesus could, and he did that for me so that I could be in a relationship with God. And God wants us to be in that. That's why he did everything that was necessary to make it happen. We become, so we become like the tax collector. We don't come in showing off our stuff. We come in with the reality and the truth of who we are. God, I am spiritually broke. Have mercy on me. And here's the wonderful news for the spiritually broke. You receive life. Acknowledging that we're spiritually broke and Jesus is the life provider is the key to everything. Here's the second reason why this is great news. Jesus give us, gives us a life of true happiness. So we don't have to be ruled by stress or shame. Jesus gives us a life of true happiness. We don't have to be ruled by stress or shame. Two different perspectives here. For those who are ruled by shame, they say, I'll never be good enough. That is the message of those who are experiencing shame. I will never be good enough. And for those who know that, who knows that place, who experience that place, this is a very helpless place to be in. And on our own, it can be a hopeless place also. But here's the really weird thing that I'm going to say in light of that. We have to realize that it's actually true. <laughs> Not because we need to experience shame, but we have to acknowledge the reality, I'm never going to be good enough. We'll never be good enough. We can't do anything. Those who come to that conclusion are actually closer to the truth than those who don't. Not because God wants us to experience shame, because he wants us to know that he removes shame, that he gives us life, that he does what we can't. 
Romans 5 says, While we were utterly helpless, Christ came at just the right time and died for us sinners. Now, most people would not be willing to die for an upright person, though someone might perhaps be willing to die for a person who is especially good. But God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Christ did everything he did. God loved us and showed us his love when we weren't good enough, while we weren't good enough, when we couldn't do anything about it. That's the whole point. We can't do anything about it. See, good news for you who realize you can't do enough, that you're not good enough. That's true. So Jesus has done everything. Jesus has done everything so that you can know life and you can know forgiveness and you can know peace and you can know joy so you can experience all the things that you feel like are missing because you're not good enough. Jesus provides, but in the form that they need to be in true life, life everlasting. Dallas Willard says this, Jesus is the gospel. Jesus is, is a gospel for a silly world. All the more needed because the silly is made a matter of life and death for many. Sin, for that matter, is silly. If the kingdom did not reach us in our silliness, who would be saved? Lostness does not have to wear a stuffed shirt to find redemption. So we must see that, excuse me, so we must see from, our, from, from that, blessed are the physically repulsive. Blessed are those who smell bad, the twisted, the mishappened, the deformed, the too big, the too loud, the too bald, the too young, the old, for they are all riotously celebrated in the party of Jesus. Does that say it's about party of Jesus, not the part of Jesus? Sorry, my typo. It doesn't matter what's going on. If we look at ourselves and feel like, oh, I'm not good enough, Jesus goes, I know, come and be with me. I know, come and be with me. And I know I just shared this thing from Willard, but it's from this book called The Divine Conspiracy. And I want to share with you another part of this because he continues on, and I think it's just awesome. He says this, Then there are are the seriously crushed ones, the flunk-outs and dropouts and burnouts, the broke and the broken, the the drug heads and the divorce, the HIV positive and the herpes ridden, the brain damage, the incurably ill, the barren and the pregnant too many times or at the wrong time, the overemployed, the underemployed, the unemployed, the unemployable, the swindled, the shoved aside, the replaced, the parents with children living on the street, the children with parents not dying in the rest home, the lonely, the incompetent, the emotionally starved or emotionally dead, and on and on. It is true, earth has no sorrow that heaven cannot heal. It is true. That is precisely the gospel of heaven's availability that comes to us through the Beatitudes. You don't have to wait until you're dead. Jesus offers to all people as as these the present blessedness of the present kingdom, regardless of your circumstances. The condition of life sought for by human beings through the ages is attained in the quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. It doesn't matter who you are, and it doesn't matter where you're at, and it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus loves you. And it doesn't matter where you're at, it doesn't matter what you've done. We are all spiritually broke. And to say, I'm not good enough, is the thing we have to come to conclusion on. Because he is good enough. He is good enough. And he is the one that gives us life. And so for the person who is 
saying, I'm not good enough, and we run from God, he would never love me. No, we're not good enough, and in that, he loves me. You don't have to know shame. You don't have to be haunted by shame or led by shame or defined by shame. You get to be defined by a loving God who loves you and cares for you and pursues you. Then there's those ruled by stress. And those ruled by stress say, I have to obtain fill in the blank, whatever it is. Maybe you're building out, if you're stressing over life and trying to obtain whatever that might be, maybe you're building out your spiritual resume or maybe you're building out your life resume or maybe it's both. On your spiritual resume, you feel like you are good enough or better than most. And because of that, you'll be okay. And God will be okay with you. He'll be happy to have you. You write out your accomplishments like the Pharisee. Or maybe you don't really care about that. You know, I'm not really thinking about that whole spiritual thing. I'm just trying to get my life resume together. And so you have to, get, you have to obtain the accomplishment. You have to obtain the title. You have to have, uh, obtain the living space or the promotion or the accolade or all the experiences. And once you obtain that, then life has its meaning. You have that happiness. You're where you need to be. You'll stress to obtain it. You'll stress to acquire it, to earn it whatever it takes. Here's the hard truth. Nothing on either of your resumes holds up. Nothing on your spiritual resume holds up. If you come to God like the Pharisee, nothing in that bag holds up. Ephesians 2 says, God saved you by his grace when you believe, and you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. We can't brag about anything we've done. We have to be able to brag about what Jesus has done. And when I can brag about what Jesus has done in my life, that's when I'm truly living. Again, the other hard truth is that our life resume will not hold up either. None of it's bad, but none of those things that we stress for can give us a life of true happiness. None of the things we're stressing for can stand up to the storms of life. It's all fragile and it's all unreliable. 1 John 2 says, All this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave, but anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. And the thing is, you don't realize with your life resume that that's actually also your spiritual resume. And it doesn't matter how you build it out you're still spiritually broke. And nothing that you're looking to is going to give you the life that your heart desires and that you need. You don't have to be ruled by shame. Jesus removes our shame and gives us life. You don't have to be ruled by stress. God has done the work, Jesus has done the work to give us the life we want. You need to turn away from shame. You need to turn away from stress and you need to turn to Jesus. When you realize you are spiritually bankrupt and he did everything to pay the price for your sin and endorse you before God, then you will receive the life your heart longs for. Quoting Dallas Willard again, the condition of life sought for by human beings through the ages is attained in the quietly transforming friendship of Jesus. And when you begin that relationship with Jesus, that's when that life begins. When you align your life with him, 
then you as the spiritually bankrupt hit the spiritual jackpot. How do you receive that which Jesus offers you? It says in Romans, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you are made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. To openly declare that Jesus is Lord is to say, I I acknowledge that I'm bankrupt. There's nothing I can do to make this right. Even Even when things are the best, there's still something missing. And I'm, rather than allowing anything else to guide me, rather than allowing myself to be the one in charge, I'm aligning my life with him. He's in charge. He's leading. He's the Lord of my life. And I'm acknowledging, I believe in my heart. Not just believe, I don't, maybe I don't understand all the information, the facts, the dates or whatever, but I believe in my heart one thing is true, that God raised him from the dead. He died for me and rose from the dead so that I could have life. When you align who you are with him, believing that what he did for you, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. Now that might be, okay, but how? Like, okay, I I, I understand those words, but let's go back to an interaction with Jesus. Right after this story that he tells about the Pharisee and the tax collector, Right, right, literally the next paragraph. You can look at it in your Bible. These families start bringing little kids to Jesus. And his disciples are like, hey, get these kids out of here. We don't want these kids here. Leave Jesus alone. And Jesus is like, whoa, 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 whoa. Back off, buddy. Bring the kids to me. Bring the, let the children come to me. And Jesus says this, let the children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. I mean, what is it, what is it going on with a child? Talking about being broke. <laughs> Talking about not being able to do anything for themselves. Talking about being in constant need of help. Talking about not being able to exist without others. We have to come to Jesus like a little child. We have to come, God, God, have mercy on me. Help me. Receive me. I want to be with you. And when you reach arms out like a little child, Jesus picks you up like the loving one that he is, and you will know life. You are spiritually bankrupt. And when you realize that and turn to him to find life, there is wonderful news for you. You are going to find it. Let's pray. God, we thank you and praise you for the fact that you are a life giver, that you want us to know life and you want us to know it abundantly and thrive within it with you. We know that we will have hard times within it as well, but we trust you through them. God, I pray for those who aren't truly living right now. I pray that you would be, give them courage and honesty and discernment to be able to understand why and their need for you. And let today be the day that they begin living. Let the day, today be the day that they come to you like a little child and say, God, give me mercy. Give me life. I want to follow you. And for those of us, God, who have done that, I pray that you would remind us 
of this amazing life that you've given us. And I pray that you would help us to continue to live spiritually bankrupt lives. Being in a place where we know we need you and we are constantly relying on you. Forgive us for the moments when we turn to shame. Forgive us for the moments where we stress about things that don't need to be stressed about. Turn our hearts to you and let us find life in you. It's in your name we pray. We're going to close today by receiving communion.